This is the Green Student Ministries Middle School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. We are committed to our students being known, knowing Jesus, and becoming kingdom workers. We hope this podcast serves to encourage, challenge, and to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Green Student Ministries. In the Bible, and we see these things, and we just skim right through it. Uh, sometimes it's hard for us to like look at the details and to look at really what is this saying because this is God's inspired work and all of it is useful to us even sometimes we have to do a little bit more digging and I think this is why I've been really excited this series because we're looking at more of the detail work a lot of these things that we're going to be talking about this morning I didn't learn when I was in middle school and so I'm really excited to share with you some cool really interesting insights and things that we miss when we just skim through the Bible, when we just skim through these big stories. Um, So this morning we're looking at Passover, and we talked about it last week. We did a little bit of a very quick drive-by on what Passover is, like the context leading up to it. And essentially, Passover is this key celebration that is brought in to existence in Exodus 12. And it's a story of when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were in slavery And God was sending plagues upon Egypt so that Pharaoh would release the Israelite people. And so Passover starts with the 10th plague. And God says, I will kill the firstborn son of anyone who doesn't follow these instructions of Passover. So Passover, there's this reminder that God tells us to remember this story. To remember the Israelites and the Jews at that time would repeat this holiday over and over and over again for years to come. They would look back at the original start of Passover and see that this was a story of salvation. To remember what they experienced of how God brought them through all of these hardships. It was a story of salvation, not only from freedom of slavery, but also freedom of death. That the Jews, if they followed these instructions, if they slaughtered the lamb in this certain way and had the blood on their doorposts, that death would pass over their household and that no one would be hurt. So this was a story of salvation of their bondage to slavery in Egypt, but also freedom from the slavery of death. So we have this celebration that the Jewish people celebrated every year. So this is really important for us to look at. I think this is like one of like the key holidays for us to really grasp because this story is used all throughout scripture. It's used all throughout the New Testament. There's so many things that are pointing back to this, that if we don't get the context, if we're just breezing through scripture, we miss a lot of the richness of what this all means, just how deep this salvation message is, that we can see it way, way back when how Jesus, when how God saved the people from the Egyptians and how he passed over them from death. And so... This has all come to be. God instills the people with this meal, which I think is so cool that in order for God to um, allow for people to experience salvation, he offers this meal, this holiday to celebrate year after year. Meals are very relational. I love eating a good meal. I think it's the best time when you get to hang out with your friends and go out to lunch, go out to dinner, and just have this relational moment. So this is all a part of God's salvation to the Israelites. He's allowing these people to first not 
for, to first do these specific steps to follow in order to experience salvation. But he's calling them to eat a meal together. And all of these details and all of these elements mean something deeper. And so we looked at, we did a rush of it over um, in Exodus 12. We see all of the details. Um, but this morning, I'm really excited to point out, like, what do these details mean? Because they seem confusing at times. They seem a little ridiculous or just um, pointless at times. But we're going to look at all these different times of all these details, specifically with the meal and the elements that are used to point to a greater purpose that can reach us as well. That this isn't just a story that's like, oh, that's nice that the Jewish people have this holiday and they celebrated this thing and they were able to escape Egypt and not be slaves and they also were freed from death. That's a nice story. But Jesus, God, uses this moment in the Jewish people's history to point to our salvation of what Jesus can offer us. So there's this huge connection between Passover, what we learned in the Old Testament, and Jesus, and how Jesus embodies all of this. And it's so, so important. I've been reminded so much this past year of how we need to look at the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is important. It gives a deeper weight to what Jesus was doing and all of these things. It's not just this, these nice stories, but it's pointing to a deeper purpose. So for this morning, I want us to look at four different key elements of Passover and how they connect to Jesus. So the first one being is slavery. And warning, guys, there, there should be a chart. And I know I get very excited when there's a chart. Like, I feel like I need to cool it with the charts, but I legitimately cannot cool it with the charts. So the first, <laughs> so the first really important aspect that I want us to grab hold of is first slavery. So last week, remember, we talked about how the Israelites were, in, were slaves in Egypt. The Egyptian people treated them so harshly. They were forced to do labor. They were in these awful circumstances. These people were physically enslaved. Their whole lives were about working for the Egyptian people. The people cried out. They were in these awful, horrible circumstances. And so this is the key, first key element that I want us to grab hold of. That first God saw that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. So what does that mean for us this morning? We can connect that by we are also slaves. Not slaves to the Egyptian people, not experiencing the same thing that the Israelites did, but we ourselves as humans were slaves to sin. That as humans, because of the start of everything, with way back in Genesis, we've talked about this before, but once sin, bad things that we do, things that we do that miss the mark, enter into this world, humans, we are slaves to it. We can't escape it. There's these things, we have these um, ideas and these behaviors in ourselves that we're always doing the wrong things sometimes, it feels like. So we have this need that, man, we keep sinning. We keep doing the wrong things. We're not perfect. And so like the Israelites, we also are slaves. But we're slaves to sin. And I think this is an important place for us to start. Because I think sometimes we don't recognize that in our own life. 
I think sometimes we don't see the weight of that slave that we have to sin. We don't see it sometimes. We miss it. We think we're just not that bad of a person. But the truth is that we see all throughout Scripture, all throughout my life, and I'm sure all throughout your life, there's been times when we missed the mark. We just didn't do the right thing. So we learn from Scripture that the result of sin is death. And so because we sin, because we're slaves to sin, our consequence is death, just like the Israelites were facing. They also were experiencing the same sort of fear, these consequences of sin and death and slavery. So we see that we can start to relate to the people. We can start putting ourselves in this story a little bit. So we can have the same ground. So if we also are slaves, like the Israelites were slave, slaves, what happens next? What do we do? The beautiful thing about this story, all throughout scripture, all throughout the God that we serve, he doesn't leave us to this terrible problem of sin. He doesn't leave us to these consequences of sin and death. But God offers a way for us to experience new life. So we see this in the story of Passover. So first, we see that there are slaves to sin. The second thing that I want us to look at, and this is something that I've never looked at before when looking at Passover, but it's talking about the bitter herb. So it's found in Exodus 12. It talks about them eating um, Exodus 12, 8. I'll read it to you really quick. That night, they must roast the meal over a fire and eat it alongside with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. So first off, that seemed like just kind of like a pointless little detail. But this bitter salad, this bitter herb, the bitterness in that is still important for us to grab hold of. There's still some symbolism in there. So as the Jewish people celebrated Passover, it was known that when they celebrated the bitter herb part, they would all eat this part. We're going to look at it next week. All of us are also going to do this. They would eat this really bitter um, herb. And so have you guys ever had like something like really bitter or just like awful? Like eaten anything that was like really bitter or even like sour even. Like something that's just like not pleasant at all. And it's, it's interesting that it's a part of this meal. That it's not supposed to taste good. It's supposed to cause this physical reaction in you. And so with the bitter herb and the bitter salad, it's to remind you and to remind the people of Israel just the bitterness of slavery. Just the bitterness of sin. As I was studying um, Passover this week, one of the things that I saw when I was reading is, um, so when the Jews would eat the bitter herb, typically it was so bitter that their tear, like they would start crying. Like you know when like you eat something and it's just like so awful, your eyes water. That was to get a physical reaction to experience, like to remind them, man, remember when our people wept over sin. Remember when they wept over their consequences? Just to have this reminder, this physical reminder that, man, sin is difficult and ugly and hard. And we've experienced something hurtful and hard. It's to get you back in that moment. All this, this eating of the bitter herb was to help remind you of where you've come from. And I think this is important for us to do as well. To every once in a while, remember what God has brought us through. 
not to dwell in grief or sorrow or guilt or shame, but just to be reminded of how far we've come, of to bring to mind things that were difficult, things that were hard in our life that each of us have experienced. And not just to stay there, but to see, man, life is different now. God has rescued me from that. It's good to be reminded of the hard things that we've experienced in our life. So that was all about what the bitter herb was trying to do for the Israelite people. The next key aspect of Passover was the unleavened bread. And unleavened bread is bread without yeast. Do we have any bakers in the room? Yes? Does anyone shout out what yeast does? Makes it rise. Yes. So, (laughs) very good. I'm so proud of you guys. Little bakers. Um, So, this unleavened bread, this bread without yeast, it would be really thin. So the people at the first Passover were told not to have any yeast in their bread because they were expecting to leave. So at this moment, the Israelites, let's go us back to the first Passover. So they're following in these instructions. They know soon that death is going to come. So they're following these instructions. And so they're told to eat unleavened bread, bread without yeast, that's very thin. The purpose of this is to allow for them to see that time is coming soon. That their time to leave is soon. They don't have time to wait for the yeast to rise. Salvation is at their doorstep. They're about to escape. It's this idea of hope. That, man, we are about to experience something. Eva, can you imagine in the midst of what all the Israelites were going through? That they were still slaves, but they were told by Moses, who was told by God, of all these instructions. And they're having this meal, and they're preparing it for the first time. And they're just still in the depths of sorrow. They're still in the depths of everything they're experiencing. But they're told to have this hope. That because of this bread that's unleavened, that's not filled with yeast, they are going to experience salvation. They have this promise that it will be done soon. So they can grab hold of that hope and that truth and that promise that hope is coming soon. That there's this expectant salvation that is coming. And what does that look like for us? That looks like we're expecting Jesus to return. We have this hope that Jesus will come back. That he, he yes, he was on earth. He lived He died, he rose again, but that's not the end of the story. We have this forward-pointing hope that eternal life is coming. So we can be prepared, we can be ready, to be ready at any circumstance for Jesus to return, for this to be over, for us to experience eternal salvation with him, with the full presence of him. This, all these things are so deep and rich that we can see That, man, we can be just like the Israelites taking these steps and looking forward, pointing. That even when we're in the midst of sorrow and despair, the hope can still be there. That we still have the hope of salvation, of Jesus, no matter what you're experiencing. So many of us experience such hardships. But God is a God of hope, a God of goodness. And he offers each of us that hope that we can look forward to. 
also with the bread, a lot of times, um, this is a direct correlation to what Jesus says about himself. Do you guys remember whenever we take communion, there's always this little way for this bread part. And it's because of Jesus making a connection to Passover. So at that time, Jesus is having a Passover meal with his disciples. And we're going to look at this more next week. But Jesus specifically takes the bread. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And he gives it to each person at the table. So this allows for us to see that way back then there was this element of bread, that this broken body, that there is salvation found not just in the bread, but Jesus then embodies all of it. There's this cool little detail. If you like really cool rabbit trails, there's so much richness in all this. And I wish I could go through every single detail and point to all of these cool things. But when the Jewish people celebrate Passover, the bread that they use is pierced. So it has a lot of holes in it. It also has like these stripes in it. They like make these little cuts in it. So it's pierced and stripped. And a really cool thing that that symbolizes is when Jesus is on the cross, he too, his body is also pierced. That he was also whipped. There's also these like incisions made in him. So Jesus takes this symbol that the Jewish people were very familiar with, with this piece of bread. And Jesus says, I am this bread. And then on his final hours on earth, he also, just like the bread that the people celebrated, was also pierced, was also whipped and made incisions of. We see this Jesus, this is not by mistake that Jesus does this. There's so many of these connections. None of this is a coincidence, but this all points to the validity and the, how Jesus perfectly fulfills all of the elements of Passover. Because Passover is embodying salvation. So we get to experience salvation because of Jesus. Jesus does this by symbolizing it all of these elements in Passover. And the biggest part, like the biggest thing that I want us to grab hold of, I'm sure some of us have heard this phrase before, but the lamb, the Passover lamb that is talked about in Exodus 12 is directly symbolizing Jesus being the Passover lamb. All throughout scripture, Jesus is told and is declared and is explained as a lamb. And I want to look at one of those this morning. So flip over to the book of John. So this is a gospel. So we're flipping way forward. So again, Jesus is the lamb. And we're going to look at different details of how Jesus is this lamb. John 1.29. The next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. At the very start of Jesus' ministry, he is described as this lamb, as the Passover lamb, as the lamb who offers salvation. In the beginning of Exodus, in the first Passover, the lamb was what bought salvation. They had to have specific elements with this lamb. It had to be blameless, spotless. Who else can be described as blameless and spotless? Jesus. Jesus is also those things. So that checks out. Jesus is also this blameless, spotless lamb that was needed for Passover. 
second really cool thing is um, in Exodus 12, we see that um, the Israelites were supposed to keep this lamb in their house. They grab, they, they pick out the lamb on day 10, day 14, that's when they slaughter it. They have these four days with the lamb inside their house. That can symbolize Jesus spending time here on this earth with the people around him, with the people who would eventually kill him. And then we see, so that checks out again. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. The Passover, um, the original Passover also talks about exactly when they should slaughter this lamb. When, when should they do it? We see it's described as twilight, of when they should slaughter this lamb for Passover. So flip over to Matthew 27, 45 through 46. So the original Passover lamb was supposed to be killed at twilight, which was around 3 p.m. Because the Jewish people celebrated their days differently. But this is, we're looking at then when Jesus died. So remember, Jesus is this Passover lamb. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At a at about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. I'm not going to read that because I don't know what he's saying. But he says this, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up with a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. Jesus' death took place at 3 p.m., the exact time that the Israelites were told to slaughter their Passover lamb. This is not a coincidence, guys. There's so many of these details that we see over and over again throughout Old Testament that Jesus fulfills, that Jesus embodies. Flip over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is in the Old Testament, and it's a prophet talking about salvation. And we see this person is described before Jesus was ever on the scene. We see someone described in this way. I'm sure this will sound familiar to some of you. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and he was, as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was like buried like a criminal, he was put in a rich man's cave, grave. 
So again, this is before Jesus was on the scene. This is a prophet talking about something different, but we see that he is talking and prophesying about Jesus. Jesus continues to do this. He continues to take Old Testament statements on salvation. God uses the people of Israel to point to his goodness, to point that we need help, that each of us have lost it, each of us have sinned, each of us deserve death. But God offers salvation. And through the history of the Israelites and through the scriptures, we see Jesus embodying all of these details to point to what? That this is really cool. Like all these things, it's not a coincidence that none of this is happening. So what? What does that mean for us? I know what that means for me. Man, I'm excited that Jesus does this. I am amazed at the person of Jesus. I am amazed that scripture does this. That it's not just some old book filled with arbitrary details and confusing things. A lot of it is confusing sometimes. But through the Holy Spirit, through looking at it, through studying it, we can see that Jesus is the answer to all of it. That we don't need to know all of these minor details. These are exciting for us to know, to see how all of it connects, how Old Testament points to New Testament. But what does this mean for us? It means that Jesus is the answer to all of it. Jesus is the offer of salvation. Jesus is the gift. Jesus embodies all of what the Old Testament was pointing to. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you in your life? Are you like me and you're just excited and hungry to learn more so that you can have these moments of being like, this isn't just fake. This isn't just something made up. This isn't something that is a coincidence. All of this is pointing to Jesus. All of it is pointing to Jesus. So Jesus is real. We can trust in Jesus. We can trust in these scriptures because they all point to each other. Jesus fulfills all of this. We can trust Jesus. And if we get there, means we can trust him not only just in our minds, just knowledge-wise, but with our whole hearts, that if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the embodiment of all of these things, he too offers us salvation for what we need. He offers us salvation. We also can move from death to life. And let that sink in. That Jesus being this Passover lamb is for you. It's for me. It's for all of us. That we can experience salvation because of Jesus offering it to us. Man, if you haven't had a moment like that, where you've laid down your life, where you've had this moment where you're like, Jesus, you are real. Jesus, you are the true God. God, I want to follow you. And there's no better time than right now. This world is going to end the world continues to grow darker and darker. There's no better time than now to give our lives over to Jesus. Because he's coming soon. We're expecting him to come soon. I hope he comes soon. 
I mean, I hope also that we can experience life with Jesus and life together to the full. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just all of it. How we can look at these details in the Old Testament that didn't make sense before, that seemed pointless, Father. But Lord, I thank you that it's just, it blows my mind that Jesus embodies all of this. That Jesus found a way to be the perfect stand-in for not only the Passover lamb, for the lamb that we need for ourselves, for the one that we need to move from death to life. So it seems so small for me to say thank you. But Father, this is all we have to say thank you and to praise you and to give our lives over to you, Father. I love you. We love you. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you enter into each of our hearts, that you move us and shape us. Father, I pray for moments this week that we can ponder your word, that we can look at how you offer salvation to each one of us. Father, I pray that you move in our hearts. You move us to have a passion for you. You move us to love you and to love others, Father. Father, we love you. We praise you for this day. Thank you for all of it. We give our lives to you. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Stay safe out there. It's very, very snowy. Thanks for listening to the Green Student Ministries Middle School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact us at gsm.thechapel.life or follow us on Instagram at Green Student Ministries. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.